Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dragon Store at 11warriors.com. Bo Bishop on one end, Johnny Ginter on the other. We start today with uh, heavy heart. Mike Kudla passed away unexpectedly at the age of just 34. Um, cause of death at the time when we're recording this, we're not we're not sure other than it was just unexpected. But at 34, obviously it would be, of course, an all Big Ten defensive end and Ohio State's defensive most valuable player in 05. Um, Highland Schools actually uh, posted on Twitter the, uh, the information. Uh, he's res- he's responsible for some un- incredible moments. Um, of course, in his in his college finale, he had the three sacks in the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. And uh, John, you were talking beforehand how he had the bench press record for a while at Ohio State, yeah. and um, you know, just kind of kind of a, a, a great example of of you know what it is to be in a, a Buckeye, an Ohio kid who kind of does good at, at Big State U, and um, yeah, it hit hit pretty heavy today in Buckeye Land. Yeah, it really stinks because, I mean, obviously it's incredibly sad because of how young he was. Um, and But honestly, like for me, I was at Ohio State around the exact same time that he was, like pretty much all the same years. And so I watched him on the field all the time. He was one of my favorite defensive players on the team. Um, just, a, just a really fun guy to watch because of his obviously his strength and everything that he was capable of doing. Um, and you know, his story coming back from an infection where, you know, they're giving him last rites and all that stuff. He, he was just a, I think a really cool story, really cool guy and he's going to be missed. So, um, it, it, it's really sad that he's gone all my best wishes and prayers to his family. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, uh, boy at 34, that's, that's tragedy. Certainly. Yep. Um, we, we will make the, uh, make the awkward transition from, uh, tough news on a, on a, on a Monday to, uh, some, some positive news over the weekend for the Ohio state basketball team and DJ Carton commits to play basketball at Ohio state. He joins Gaffney in that 2019 class. He's the highest rated basketball recruit to give his uh, blessing to play at Ohio state since D'Angelo Russell. And, um, this is a big one. This is a big one for Chris Holtman. And I kind of had this working theory of, um, I was actually at at the basketball facility today talking to Scooney and some of the guys around there. And, and I, he, I talked to him about this too, about, you know, that first year and the magic carpet ride that it was, um, but also the importance of having that much success in year one and even, even taking it a step further and the success that Kata Bates Diop had in year one, winning big 10 player of the year. And I drew the parallel uh, to Scooney of, of Bates, Bates Diop to Braxton Miller for urban and that because they went 12-0 and 0 year one with Urban, because Braxton was what he was, it allowed for all the recruiting that followed, at least allowed it for it to be easier. And I think the same is true of that first year of the Ohio State basketball program with Holtman and Bates Diop. Because of that, it's led to what has been a really strong run in recruiting. Ohio State was one of three programs in the country that currently has two top 30 players in the country locked in in the 2019 class. So it's one thing to do it once. It was always the next thing. And you and I had talked about this a lot, John. It wasn't just to do it once. It was to then say, okay, can this be sustainable? What's right. next? What's it going to be next year when Bates Diop leaves? Can you start to stack recruiting classes? And it appears at this point that Holtman and company can. And it's a pretty damn good thing to be excited about if you're a Buckeye fan. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And not only that, but like, especially, I mean, I know that a lot of people are really excited about the Carton commitment, which they should be. I mean, he's, you know, five-star, incredible player, all that stuff. Uh, but the fact that they got Gaffney and, you know, a guy from Ohio, a, a state that I think, you know, you would like to have seen Thad Mata recruit Ohio a lot better than he did in some ways. Yeah. And I, I just, it, it's obviously a very positive thing, but it, 
beyond that, the intangibles just are all pointing, you know, northward. And, and that's what I really like about all of this. I'm not a huge recruiting guy, but I like what it says about the state of the program. Um, you know, when you're getting guys that you really target, and you're like, okay, well, we can compete with upper level programs. I mean, like, I know Carton, like, he was looking at like Michigan State and whatnot, like, to be able to fend yeah, off, yeah, you know, yeah, Izzo. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's that's something sure. there. Like that's not just an accident. So I'm I'm pretty impressed by this. This is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think it. Um, I had Diebler on my radio show last week, and I said to him that you know we were talking about like what the what can the Ohio State basketball program be? Um, I've always kind of felt like it was that that the Ohio State basketball team over the course of its history has underachieved as a program, considering yeah. the wealth of talent in the state the absurd resources at Ohio State University and the fact of what Columbus provides as a natural recruiting base in terms of it being a big city where you can get a job if you wanted to play after if you wanted to afterwards a good place to come back to um and and I think that outside of a couple of stretches in the 60s the early 90s and then again with Thad and even the late 90s a little bit with with Scooney and Mike um there was the you know and then the run with Thad with 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 Diebler and Lighty and Buford and and the run before that with Odin and Connolly and straight through. So Thad had that run, but but there are huge swaths of time in Ohio State basketball history of irrelevance. And it's strange to me that that was that that happened. Bad coaching hires, whatever. But there's really nothing that would keep Ohio State basketball from being on on the level, not maybe with football, but on the level right below. And if if you if we're to say that, that Ohio State basketball that it would be unfair to say that they could be Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, or Carolina, they damn sure could be Michigan State. They could oh, beat yeah. Sy- they could be Syracuse. They could be Connecticut. They could be one of those teams that's just below those four. And I think that's well within reach. And now maybe maybe it's something that can be sustained here by Holtman. If the if the focus stays the way that it is right now, I can't imagine it's not. I think the only thing that kept Thad from doing that is in recruiting. They got a little loose, and instead of recruiting kids from the Midwest in this area. You know, they're recruiting kids from Texas and Arizona and California. And that's when it gets Florida. That's when it gets a little bit dicey. Like if you stay within, you know, three out, three and a half, four hours of Columbus, Ohio, which is like 50 percent of the U.S. population, you got a pretty good chance for kids to be really buying into a program. And they know what it means to wear the jersey. And I think that's going to be Holtman's philosophy. And I, I hope it's sustainable. I think it might be. He's off to a hell of a start. I think it's sustainable. I, I not only that, but it's it's. I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but I think it's a really good move because, you know, people talked with each other. Like you, you've got like the AU teams and all this other stuff. You know, the traveling teams and whatnot. But the idea that you're like getting, you know, I don't want to say necessarily like hometown kids, but kids from the area, kids from Ohio, kids from Indiana, like that kind of communication between people who are being recruited, where Ohio State all of be, all of a sudden becomes this like attractive destination. That that matters. Like I had students who knew Jared Sollinger and they were like, wow, like I might actually go to a game now. And they, so that's the kind of thing that I think generates excitement locally because people they're more invested. Like they feel that they have some kind of connection to the team and the program and the city. And that's a big deal. So um, as far as like trying to rebuild that interest for Ohio state basketball, which I think last year obviously went a long way towards doing, but if you want to continue that, you've got to, you know, also give people a second secondary connection beyond just winning, which is, I know that kid, or I've heard of that guy because, you know, my cousin played against him in basketball or something like that's, that means something. And so I think he's doing a really great job at kind of locking in Columbus and, and the Ohio, you know, region in general. And I think that's, that's really positive. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it is too. I think, you know, I think that's, 
you know, that's how it got loose a little bit with that. And I think if, if the focus is narrowed, it can be, I've, I was, boy, I was over there today and I will say this about Ohio state basketball, like for, for whatever happened at the end, Thad recruited a lot of great kids. I mean, just yes. really good human beings. Um, right. And I was over there today and Scooney was kind of showing me some of the stuff that they're doing in the facility. And it, it, it's just going to be incredible what they're doing, the, what the amount of, of money and resources and the plan that they have to modernize the basketball program and get it up to speed, you know, with Kentucky and, and Kansas and the rest, it's incredible. And it's a real commitment. And I saw, you know, Evan Turner was over there. Um, John Diebler was over there, Dallas Lauderdale, Evan Ravenel. I mean, all that team that's playing in the basketball tournament was in and out. Um, and I, just to see them around the program again. And then the reason that that is so is because Columbus is a place that you can live. And you can spend your off season in, um, and a lot of these places aren't. You know, I don't, I don't know, like I don't know how livable Bloomington, Indiana is. I suppose you go to Indianapolis is probably where you go if you play at IU. But like Columbus, you can come back, and yeah. it's not just there's other places too. Like I don't, you know, I don't know how I, I, I'm, you know, a little bit naive to this. But I mean, for example, I don't, I can't imagine a former Florida player going to try to make a go of it at Gain in Gainesville. It's a small town. You could probably do it in Orlando or Tampa but not in Gainesville and guys come back to high state and you can spend your off season here and pro yeah. guys do it. Mike Connolly does it. Mike red did it when he played like there's a real, there's a real life that can be had there. So I th they have a lot of things they can recruit to. And it, it was cool just to see kind of the family aspect of it um, kind of play through today. And I, I think it's, it's working with these recruiting classes and it's working with Holtman. He identified early that I, I got to get these players back to believe in this program. Like Costa Kufus was back at Ohio state for the first time <laughs> since he left. Now, yeah. whatever you think of Costa Kufus's time at Ohio State or how that ended, that kid was a five-star, can't-miss player who went to Ohio State and played pretty well as a first-round draft pick and has been making money in the league for a decade. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good. Like, you got to have those guys coming back. And he hadn't been back in, in forever. So they're making strides. And it's it's exciting to see. I'm jacked up. I'm, I'm excited to see what this year brings, and I'm certainly excited for the future. And you know, this recruiting news over the weekend does nothing but buoy that. So, uh, good stuff out of the Ohio State basketball program and Chris Coleman. All right, coming up next, former Buckeye linebacker Andrew Sweat will bro will join the program. And still to come, ask us anything. Before we do any of that, though, we want to encourage you to visit Eleven Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Dry Goods at ElevenWarriors.com. All right, it's with great pleasure we bring on our next guest, former Buckeye linebacker Andrew Sweat, who's an attorney now in the Pittsburgh area. Before we get into to, to some of the big topics of the day and and around the sport, so I'm, I was thinking, obviously we covered you as a player, and I'm trying to think, when's the last time I talked to you? It would have been your last game. So between then and now, catch us up. Okay. Um, brief stand at the Browns, bad concussion, left that. Um, took a year off and then went back to law school. Um, successfully completed law school and I joined my family's practice here in Pittsburgh where uh, we focus on oil and gas law and we also have a private equity fund on the side that buys oil and gas rights. And so that's kind of my day-to-day -day, uh, gig. I got married and um, I recently had a baby boy six weeks ago. So a lot's happened. Oh, wow. That's winning at life, man. Yes. Yeah, Super domesticated at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Did you name well, him Tress? No, actually, I named him Leighton. I loved the name okay. Peyton, but my wife uh, vetoed it, and we named our son Leighton. L-E-Y-T-O-N. Oh, nice. Nice. That's, I mean, that's that's dominating life, man. Good for you. Getting after it. Absolutely. Do you miss do – you, do, you, do you ever miss it? Do you miss playing? Do you miss 
what you know, most guys we talk to when they when we talk about now that their careers over, they'll say what they miss was is the locker room, the buddies, the camaraderie. A hundred percent. You just miss that the blood, sweat, and tears, and sharing those times with your buddies. Um, you take it for granted when you're in the moment. Um, it feels like high school. You you tend to forget the stage that you're playing on, and it just feels normal. Um, but definitely when you're away from it, you tend to appreciate it. At least I have uh, a lot more. Um, going back to games, seeing my buddies. You truly appreciate the moment and feel blessed that you got to be a part of it. What was the transition like? Like going from, you know, football, you know, career and athletics to, to getting into law school? Because I feel like I can't, I cannot speak for law school, but I feel like that's an entirely different type of intense. Like that seems like something that the transition between the two might be a little strange. Yeah, it was difficult. I'm, the latter part of my senior year, I back concussions, injury plagued, um, draft stock fell. Um, couldn't really pass a concussion test. Got picked up as a free agent with the Browns. And honestly, I, I just was so out of whack with my concussion, my head, that I chose to walk away. And I'm, and I'm glad I did. Um, but the difference, there's a lot of similarities. You know, there's a lot of adversity. Um, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I think what football taught me is to outwork anyone. And so I think that that's transferable uh, to the business world for sure. And so you definitely see guys that, you know, can dig a little deeper um, in the business world. And I think that Ohio State definitely taught me that. Andrew, you were uh, you were on a captain on on the team that obviously Luke coached and that, you know, that was, boy, talk about throwing into a powder keg. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys um, had any clue what was coming down the pipe that year and um, with, with everything that, that came out of it. With with the advantage of, of perspective now, how, how do you remember – you know, kind of that the end of that, and 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 how it how it ended up playing out with with that final season. Yeah, I think it was really difficult. Um, I have a ton of mixed emotions, but um, to have everything that came down with the NCA was unfortunate. But um, I'm proud of you know my brothers that we stuck together that year. Our, our win loss record wouldn't show that, but um, we fought hard. I mean, losing five of your best players. Um, I thought Coach Fickle did a great job of just keeping the locker room together. Um, I think in that situation, it'd be very easy for us to just quit. And I, I don't think we quit. And um, I think that as a captain, um, I felt blessed that they elected me, especially to lead in that kind of environment. But um, it, it was unfortunate. I think that everyone learned from that experience. And um, it's just unfortunate. A guy that I beloved, Coach Jim Trussell, uh, kind of, you know, took the fall, I guess. Well, especially well, in retrospect, because it, you know, at that time, and then you know what it what 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 has come out since about you know college athletics and all of those things, and I mean these were guys, whatever. It, now that now that we have, we look back on it, we go, okay, you know, this is whatever you think of it, whether it was illegal or not. And I suppose you know, especially since we're talking to a lawyer, you stand by the letter of the law, and you can't you can't sell your stuff. But at the same time, it is their stuff, and and now that we've had some distance to it, it seems even more frivolous to me, at least. Yeah, I think the biggest part of it is just being in the moment. You know, I, I lived with Terrell Pryor for three years. I saw everything. Um, was, a, was, a, was a part of, um, you know, what he was going through, what I was going through, what our team was going through. And um, what was really hard is when you're in the summer, what people don't understand, your scholarship checks actually got cut in half. Uh, so we're living, you know, in a nice apartment. I was blessed that my parents could help me out in that transition. But a lot of guys really struggled in the summer, which people didn't understand. Because well, really, wait a second. 
Well, I still don't know. I didn't know that. This is the first time hearing of that. You're telling me because of NC because of what happened that year, you guys lost scholarship money? No, 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 no. Not lost scholarship money. I'm saying that in the summer you didn't get the Oh the, the stipend check. I see. I see. I thought God, is there an NCAA season? rule I don't know about? I got you. I got no, you. No, 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 no. It was just a matter of you received considerably less in the summer than you did during the regular year. And, I got and you. a lot of I guys struggled financially. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's honestly, I didn't realize that they portioned it out that way. I think that's really odd, um, especially given all the commitments and other things that you guys have to kind of, uh, you know, deal with and, and keep up on. Like, that's that's strange to me. And, and what I, I think, you know, in retrospect, a lot of people will look at that and go, you know, that's that was clearly wrong. And, that you know, the the way it was handled was wrong. Like, these guys just did not get a fair shake. Um, but I think the key thing is, and, and what I think you kind of hit on a little bit is that, um, you guys really did kind of persevere in that next season. And I was, you know, I, it was my first year, I think on the site, um, really like watching how I say athletics from kind of the, the news part of it, or, you know, the reporting part of it. And you could see like how much guys like Luke fickle and, and yourself and some of these other guys were working to keep everything together. Um, um, amidst a lot of chaos and and so what what happens when you have something like that and then you've got to present you know this calm face to uh to the media like how do you handle all that kind of stuff i i think it's tough obviously to be politically correct i mean you're going through a lot of different things in your mind but bottom line is you're going to fight for your brother for your university for um what you stand for and i felt like we did that and i felt like that laid a ton of groundwork, experience-wise, character-wise, adversity-wise. That the next season they go twelve and zero. Yeah. Um, that a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, Urban Meyer came in." I mean, nothing to take away from him. Unbelievable coach, great system. But you know, there, a lot of guys became men that year. You know, like a Zach Bourne and a John Simon, where, where things were just hard. And I think that that resiliency and that character and that confidence to be able to get through, I think really helped the guys in the uh, subsequent year. I mean, that's obviously my opinion, but you could just see that there was no quit in a lot of those guys. And I think that they became the foremost leaders on the next year. And I think that that was very, was crucial. No doubt. No doubt. It was also crucial that they had Braxton Miller. Who Did you have any idea how good he yes. would be? Yes. I mean, freshman year, um, you missing, just uh, tackling air a lot. Yeah, for, of course. He was, <laughs> two, two guys that um, super impressed with the day they walked on campus. One was Braxton Miller. The other one was Ryan Shazier. You just knew that they had a different pep in their staff, a different movement that um, you envied. They definitely had it. Um, Andrew Sweat, our guest, former Buckeye, currently an attorney, uh, working as his family's practice back in the Pittsburgh area, was a captain, of course. Um, we, we, I'll be very candid with you, Andrew. We had a we kind of waded into this this topic of the um, of of what ha- what the allegations that happened at Ohio State um, with the former team doctor uh, who's been dead for a very long time, and um, and there's been a, a, a pretty decent movement of former Ohio State wrestlers that have been behind it, and um, our one of our our best guys, uh, Ramsey, wrote a piece on it uh, talking to Michael Sabato, who's kind of become kind of like the face of this movement a little bit, and um, a, a, of these allegations, and Ramsey's piece I thought was did a heck of a job of kind of like trying to make sense of of a lot that's been thrown out there and 
and and kind of the disorganization behind it, but at the same time, some very serious allegations. You inserted yourself into this. I don't know if 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 you were provoked or or, or how, but you did put yourself into it uh, yesterday. I I guess in the last in the last day or so. And the reason I bring it up, you did tag um, you know Tim May and and Bill from the Dispatch um, Rabinowitz about this. So obviously you, you want your voice heard on this. And I'll I'll just read the the tweet that I have from you, um, and it's in response to something Michael said some things to you and you responded back um, us two movement pioneer. I remember your meetings with Terrell when I lived with him specifically your attitude comments towards women disgusting. Um, can you explain how you got to uh, why you wanted to add your voice to this and um, and just and maybe give me a little bit of background on on what made you decide to go public with the tweets. Sure. As far as the allegations, the truth, anything to that, obviously not going to comment. have no idea. Um, they are serious allegations. It needed to be treated as such. All I can speak on is my personal experience with him as an individual. And it's extremely serious. Everyone needs to be cognizant of it. Personally, in the business world, um, there's definitely problems. And I, I think that the movement is shining light on areas where light needs shed. Um, with living with Terrell, I had, uh, I don't know if you call it the privilege, but I had the opportunity to be around Mike DeSabado um, several times. And I just, I, I, I don't necessarily think that um, or respect not, what, what he is saying could be true. I have no idea. Um, all I'm saying is I think he's the wrong person to bring that to light. Um, I looked at how he acted, um, how he asserted himself around players. Um, I, I'd use the term that this guy was like a jersey chaser. He was obsessed with being around stars and would do anything to be around them. I lived with Terrell for three years, um, always looked out for Terrell's interest and would always tell Terrell, you got to be careful of that guy. Um, I don't know him all that well. I just know of his attitude, comments, actions when I was around him. And I think that it's very hypocritical for him to be the pioneer of this movement when an individual such as himself needs to look in the mirror and um, you know, preach what he's preaching to the world at himself. Um, again, I don't know him all that well. I just know that his actions, um, I think that his uh, opportunities being around guys like Terrell, um, I, I just didn't think he was a great influence. And because of that, I thought that he was being very hypocritical, um, not to take a stance on politics or anything with Jim Jordan or anything, just to insert myself saying that, that this is extremely hypocritical and anyone that knows that man uh, more than just a five-minute conversation. Well, and I think one of the things about this that makes it difficult is because he, you know, we've talked to Mike before on the show and then he definitely is a guy who, you know, kind of tries to put himself front and center on things. And I guess the difficulty here is that the seriousness of the allegations, like you can't discount those things because of Mike DeSabato. Like you can't, like it's, it's very difficult to separate those two when someone is putting themselves front and center. But I almost think that you have to, because I, I mean, I don't know Mike very well and I don't discount what you're saying at all because I, you know, you obviously know him better than I do. Um, but it's it's difficult, and I think that's kind of what Ramsey was writing about um, on our site, where he was talking about, look, like this guy's he's a complicated dude, but that shouldn't detract 
from the larger, more difficult issue. Um, but on the other hand, people should know who he is. And I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. If you're going to be a pioneer, don't be afraid of people digging into your path. And so, yeah. you know, I want to follow someone that uh, lives what they're saying, lives what they're preaching. I feel like that individual, in my opinion, from my interactions with him was the furthest from that. You know, Andrew, the, the thing that, that, that I were, fear about this, especially the way that we consume our, um, our news and information right now, it's such just a rapid pace and, and we're forced to, ha- I don't know if we're forced to, but it seems like we're comfortable making snap judgments on everybody. And, and we talked about this last week on the show. I, I have a real, I have, I hope that, that whatever Mike has done in his past that you've witnessed or whatever, I hope that doesn't detract from the truth. And I hope the Jim Jordan part of this doesn't detract from the truth. Because if, because both, neither are at the center of it. I mean, we, we talked about this last week. I mean, you, you can't get the guy who allegedly did it. He's been got. He's gone. So who, who needs to pay for the crime? Like, we're, we're so eager to look for the pound of flesh. And if a pound of flesh needs to be taken, well, by God, I hope it gets taken. Um, but I, don't, I hope that the distraction of of you know the what you're saying about mike or certainly what's been accused of of jim jordan whether that's truthful or not if if those things are if the truth the truth is there then the the people should be punished and i hope that the whatever these people have done in their past doesn't take away from that does that make sense 100 percent. justice needs to be served yeah and if something wrong occurred you know that's that's what we have the proper procedures in place to um hopefully to serve justice um, I, I did not by any means want to insert myself to say that uh, because Mike DeSabato is involved, that this isn't serious or that these allegations are false. By no means was I inferring that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and you know, again, that's, that's, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, DeSabato himself has, you know, said that he's been a victim of this stuff. And I, I think you have to believe him. And I think you have to believe anyone who said that. Um, but this is complicated and it's, it's not something that, you know, like, you know, Bo just said, like, we don't have the guy here to go after. We don't have this doctor to, to, to really kind of, you know, hold to account. And it's, it's a very tricky, difficult thing. Um, but hopefully, you know, this all shakes out and, and people have, you know, a complete picture of this, at least at some point, but it's going to take a while. I would agree. Andrew, this has been great, man. Um, I, it's, I loved covering you. Um, I loved, uh, I loved the way you carried yourself. I, I love the way you captained the team. And, um, I think you're on point with what you said about 11 leading to 12 and how that, how that you guys laid the groundwork for, for what happened in 12. I agree with you on that. And I, I, I still think of, uh, you know, I'll never forget, you know, how honorable Devere Posey was that year to just sit there and, and wait, and then finally get to play, you know, those last two games. And I'll never forget Fick and how he just sit there and took the slings and arrows uh, for the program and, and carried himself. And all, there was a lot of character on that team uh, to, to live through that transition. A lot of guys could have bailed and they didn't. And I always appreciated that you guys didn't. And I appreciate you taking the time today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter, rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Final segment of the show. Time for Ask Us Anything. Shoot, my friend. Okay, so ask us anything. You guys can ask us anything by sending questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. This one is for you, Bo. Uh, This is from Jeffrey, and he has a little story here. So on his 21st birthday, uh, just a little less than two years ago, so he's still pretty young, my uncle took me out to a bar for the first time to celebrate, so I tried an old-fashioned made with Maker's Mark. Then I had five more. 
I had never really drank before and had no alcohol tolerance, so I promptly went home and vomited twice. Uh, Now the smell of whiskey makes my face go numb and my stomach turn, but I really Mm. feel like I'm missing out when I hear you and Ramsey talk about it. Are there any other drinks that you recommend or a good way to get over the nausea? So if you remember the 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 when we had Ramsey on last week, both he and I had negative um, relationships with Maker's Mark. Uh, the yeah. story you told, I have a similar story of of drinking Maker's Mark a long, 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 long time ago, and threw up all night long. And I still can't t- stand the smell of Maker's Mark. I still can't. It doesn't work for me. It's never. It doesn't work for me for a very. It's not that a lot of people love it. Like it's probably probably as much of it gets sold in anywhere. But if I smell it. Or if I taste it, I know it and I, I got to get out of it. So um, I would not I would say don't let and this isn't me taking a shot at Maker's Mark. It's just it it probably elicits a feeling with me, with me because of a history with it. Um, so I have stayed away from it and I've been fine. If, if you if you're worried about old fashions, I would follow the advice that Ramsey and I gave. Like if you get a bullet rye old fashioned, try that or you can do a Manhattan order a Buffalo Trace Manhattan or a Angel's Envy Manhattan. I had one this weekend. Try Manhattan instead if you want to try that. And then I think what Ramsey laid out last week, which is something I've passed off as my own to friends, is is great advice on what fits your taste. So do those things. Um, and then if it if those things don't work, uh, you know, don't be a quitter. Move on to tequila and try that on the rock with two limes. I mean, you can do that too. <laughs> really good tequila on the rocks with two limes is really good. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, you, I was, you know what? I was going to give the opposite advice. I was going to say be a quitter. Like, you don't have to, you know what? Like drinking, you know, can be, can be great in moderation and, and when, you know, you want to do it. But honestly, it's not for everybody. It's okay not to want to drink whiskey and, and not, you know, get into all that. But um, this is what, this is what men do. We drink. Yeah. Because it's good. That's Roger Sterling. Don't you remember that? Roger Sterling, Mad Men? Yeah, Roger Sterling. Okay. Roger Sterling also like paraded around in like blackface and like had He's, like, what? like blackface on the guy like the rest I'm of it's fantastic saying. i'm just saying i'm just that's saying. a man's man roger sterling <laughs> sure <laughs> um yeah i don't know i mean i like i said i drink from time to time but i you know it's it's it doesn't have to be part of everybody's life it's not your thing it's not your thing um but i will agree with you though bo and say that there's a whole world of drinks out there like you can find something that you enjoy so it's yeah. definitely not confined just to you know one thing uh okay so this one i'm you're really gonna enjoy this because this is a super random one uh this is from dan um he just wants to know if we have any theories on how the last season of game of thrones is gonna play out yeah i do um <laughs> i think if there's any justice to a george r, r. martin story cersei would win because yeah. she's played it the best right she's played it the best um she's the only one who doesn't have all the inherent advantages that the rest of them have she can't come back from the dead least that we know she doesn't have dragons uh she has no access to valyrian steel she's not a swordsman she's not mighty she's just she is just a woman from a royal family who married in to a kingdom and then made it her own and um i if there's any justice in it she wins i don't think she will but uh that that would be what i would like to see because i think it would be justice to the story and to the tone of the book of, of the move of the show i've never read the books of the show i think that would be um, the best. My my guess is is what happened. If I were to give you a theory on it, my theory would be that John and Danny both die, and the baby that's inside Danny's belly ends up being the king of Westeros. Okay, I think that's I think that's a fair prediction. Um, I would agree with you. So I would agree with you in the sense that if the show is trying to say true to the tone of the books, that Cersei should definitely win. 
Um, in the book, Cersei's terrible at playing the game with her. Like she's she's got awful at it. Really? Oh yeah. So she's the, terrible. The, the the film the the television show has taken her in a totally different way than the books. For at least how she's projecting in the books, yeah. In the in the books, so the most recent book with her in it was A Feast for Crows, which, by the way, I'm looking at my calendar right now, was published, I think, like 12 years ago. Uh, oh <laughs> but anyway, but my point, but she's terrible. Like, she makes a thousand god-awful decisions during that book, including, like, allowing the Sparrow to come, you know, like, the High Sparrow to come back in. And he like there's some longstanding debt with the Lannisters that she like resolves by allowing them to basically militarize, which is a horrible idea. Um, so she just makes bad decision after bad decision after oh. bad decision um, that may turn around in subsequent books. But I agree with you when the show like she's done a great job at playing she's the game. Like, she, yeah, yeah, she's been she's got support from the Iron Bank. I mean, she's doing what she needs to do. So I think that would be a really interesting end. I don't think that's going to happen either. I think. One or both of Danny and John are going to die. I actually don't think John's going to die because I think having him die twice would be kind of a weird, uh, I don't know, narrative choice. But I, I think Danny's probably going to die at least. And I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. That baby's got to happen. Yeah, I right? Say again. The baby's got to happen. Oh, yeah. Turn no, John's absolutely. Kid. Yeah. She's going to be pregnant. So gonna, yeah. She, that's 100 yeah, Before she dies, she'll have given birth to him and her son. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a throne at the end of it. I, I, I think that would be the interesting thing. I think it would be interesting if, you know, the, you know, the, the Starks kind of fulfilled their, de- their destiny by, by defeating the White Walkers and the Night's King and all that stuff. But I honestly think the throne just might be gone. I think Westeros might be in chaos at the end of it. Like, there may not be a winner. There may just be a survivors and they're just trying to piece together society again. Um, Boy, that would, and that would make that HBO happy. Well, they yeah. make HBO happy because then That's they can right. prequel, sequel the hell out of it. Yeah, and they could do whatever they want. And so I, I think there may not be a throne. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think it just may be chaos at the end, but no Nightwalkers, and then the seasons kind of like go to normal. And so maybe society has a chance, but I don't know that there'll be any kind of governing power. I think that'll be it. Yeah, I don't so think we'll it'll see. be so dark as like that the Night King rules or anything like that. No, I don't. I don't that. No. no, I don't think so. I don't. There'll be that. a winner, and it'll be. Yeah, some some combination of you know Danny, Tyrion, and John, Danny's baby. That you know, something like that will be the. And when I say winner, I mean I'm guessing most of them get completely annihilated. But oh yeah, um, <laughs> you know there there will be some winner. Yeah, two thirds of the cast are dead. I mean that's that's pretty much a given. It has opinion. to be. Yeah. yeah, and at this point, there's we're so far into it that there's nothing that would be shocking from a death standpoint. No. Like, you know? No, they nobody's protected at this point. See, that's and that's why I'm really excited about it is because the previous season, you're like, okay, well, Tyrion's not going to die, John's not going to die, Danny's not going to die, like all these principles, right? Because no, we knew John came die. back already. You're right. That's right. Right. And so that kind of kills some of the the suspense. But now it's like fair game. Like you could have half the cast dead in the first episode. Like nobody knows. Yeah. So that I'm really excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun to yeah. see. So. Yeah, and that's that's that was a good, I, I like I appreciate a good, a good Game one. of Thrones question uh, eight months before the next season starts. So oh, gosh, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine being a book reader. Like oh. at least you have the show to pass you through. Right. I mean, if you didn't have the show and you'd waited twelve years for a book, uh, I'm not. The show brings it to life. Right. I'm not confident that the series is ever getting finished. I think you'll get out uh, one more book, and then I think that'll be it. I think you'll be done. Well, so, on this pace, there's no way he could. Yeah, unless he lives to be like 120. It's, it's just not right. 
So he doesn't it's look like, like it's like an exponential though. growth of time, right? Like it's okay. The first yeah. one took three years, second one took four years, and then so on until like the you know, the last book will take twenty-five years to finish or something like that. So yeah. We'll yeah. see. But I'm not confident. Um, no. but that's ask us anything. Thank you guys for sending those in. Please continue to send in questions and we'll uh we'll continue to answer them. All right. Very good stuff. Good questions this week. Uh, And we thank Andrew Sweat for coming on. And uh, we'll be back next week to do it all again. Thanks, buddy. Yep. See you next time.